Sidelines with Sarah. We're here with David Etiel, and he is the most positive man you're going to meet during this pandemic. Am I correct? Absolutely, 100%, Sarah. <laughs> so first of all, I noticed you're in Fort Myers. I have a place in Fort Myers with my parents. I, I was just there two weeks ago. So you're so close, we could have met up. Oh my God, I wish I would have known that. I did too. When I was reading about you, I was like, I should have, um, we could have interviewed down there. It's exactly true. Oh my gosh. How often do you go to Fort Myers? This was my first trip back in two years because, um, but I forget why I couldn't go in 2018, but 2019, I had a bad car accident, which everybody hears about. I'm probably sick of hearing about, but I couldn't travel because I had a bad concussion. Ooh. So I was going to come, oh, that's what it was. And then I was going to come back. And, and then when I was coming down, the pandemic hit. Literally, it was going to be St. Patrick's Day I was coming down. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. I'll be back yeah. in January, I think. All right, well, definitely let me know. <laughs> definitely. All right, so tell us about your book, Positive Thinking. Um, will never change your life, but this book will. <laughs> I, I got it. That's good advertising right there. What, what, I know, I know. Sarah, here's the craziest thing in the world. So I've been writing books for 27 years. Okay. Um, for the first 20 years, we sold 10. Now that's an exaggeration, but you know, we just couldn't, but I kept writing because I loved it. Mm -hmm. So then about five years ago or four years ago, I decided to write this book, destroying the world of the secret and the law of attraction, because it's all a bunch of crap. And we prove it in the book. It's so much nonsense. It's it's kindergarten thinking. You know, yeah. like if you say to a bodybuilder, did you win that competition with Arnold Schwarzenegger through affirmations and vision boards? <laughs> if you. you say to a surgeon, <laughs> if you say to a surgeon, when you decided to become a doctor, did you put out to the universe that you wanted to become a doctor and you became one? Or did you have to go through 12 years of freaking hard work? Exactly. <laughs> so my, my mentor, Joe Cerulli, who's been my mentor, well, I've been in this industry, Sarah, for 40 years now. Mm -hmm. In 1985, he became my mentor. Now here's a guy that was homeless, living in his car in Gainesville, Florida, and he became a multi-crillionaire. If you yeah. said to Joe Cerulli, did you do it via your thoughts? You know, and so eventually I got so tired. Now I'm going to back up for a minute, Sarah. Okay. From 1980 until 1996, I traveled 40 weeks a year as a speaker mm -hmm. promoting the law of attraction. So I'm not just standing on a soapbox saying it's a bunch of right. crap and I've never done it. I used to teach this nonsense. And of course <laughs> the audiences went crazy, Sarah. You know, they loved it. You mean yeah. just put thoughts out and the money must come, come in. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so in 1996, it all changed. I had an interview with one of my favorite people in the world who's no longer in this physical plane. Mm -hmm. He's the founder of Transcendental Meditation. His name is Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Now I became a, a TM instructor, a Transcendental Meditation instructor in 1987. In okay. 1996, uh, Maharishi chose my radio show as the only media outlet to celebrate 40 years of transcendental meditation, which mm -hmm. was a huge catch for us, right? Right. Um, the Beatles, I mean, how TM became so popular was because of the Beatles. In 1960, they met Maharishi. They went through his training. Most of them stopped doing drugs. Most of them stopped drinking. It was like they found this nirvana on earth through meditation. 
Yeah. So I have Maharishi on the show. And during a break, he says to me, David, he goes, you're one of the most positive people I've ever spoke to, you know? And, and if you remember um, cousin it from the Adams family, Sarah. Yep. <laughs> okay. That's what Maharishi looked like. Okay. <laughs> he, he, tiny little, little Indian guy. Yeah. With gray hair down to his butt. And he's yeah. about five, five foot one. All he did was laugh. But during a break, he said to me, you really like this affirmation stuff. And I said, yeah, I love it. You know, I've been teaching it from 1980, I've been teaching it for 16 years. You know, I love this stuff. And he says, what's your favorite affirmation? And I said, okay. oh my God, it's the one I've been saying for probably 25 years. Every morning I wake up, I am David Essel, a child of God, happy, healthy, <laughs> and sober today. And he goes, wow. He goes, that's great. He goes, now I have a question for you. Yeah. Is that all true? <laughs> and you're like, hmm. <laughs> and I lied. You did? <laughs> Absolutely lied. And I said, of course it is. He goes, okay, David, he goes, listen, all your positive thinking is great. As long as your affirmations are based in reality, keep saying them. But if you're saying affirmations that aren't in your life, that's called out of integrity. Okay. And my word, Sarah, is that's called a self-lie. <laughs> okay. So, so here I am. I was a raging alcoholic mm -hmm. and a cocaine addict. Mm -hmm. And every morning I'm waking up saying, I'm David Essel, a child of God, happy, healthy, and sober and today. So great. <laughs> everything's great. So while you're saying an affirmation, and this has been proven by organizations like heartmath.org, they've done studies on this. You mm -hmm. see through brain scans, this incredible cascade of dopamine, GABA, serotonin, all these neurotransmitters, when you say an affirmation with emotion, right? Like okay. the brain lights up mm -hmm. for as long as you're saying the affirmation. And then what happens? It goes back to normal. Okay. So you get it. So you get addicted, right? So you get, right. you say, I am a millionaire. You know, I, I earn a million dollars this year. So I let's say that every day, but it doesn't really happen. <laughs> it doesn't work, Sarah. It doesn't work. So now let's break down the millionaire stuff. So mm -hmm. if you wake up and say, I earn a million dollars this year, no mm -hmm. one ever does this, but I'm going to do it for you. Okay. That's $82,000 a month. <laughs> There's very few people that have the talent, the gift, the discipline, the perseverance, and the drive to earn $82,000 a month. Uh -huh. Now I am like you introduced me. I am one of the most positive people in the world, but I'm also outrageously logical and realistic. Uh -huh. So you know, if you think that you have the gifts and the talents to earn a million dollars a month, then go earn a million dollars a month and then start your affirmation, which will then be truth. I earn a million dollars a month. But before you get there, why don't you just double your income for God's sake? Why don't you have an affirmation followed by action steps to double your income? You know, mm -hmm. wh why do we go to these ridiculous, fantastical thinking phrases? So now I'm going to continue with the story with Maharishi. So of course I lied, you know, great move. A lot of integrity there, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. So three weeks later, I'm in Orlando, Florida, speaking at an event and there's a long line of people asking questions afterwards. And there's this tiny little lady at the end mm -hmm. and she goes, oh my God, I'm so glad you finally got to me. I only have 20 minutes to interview you. And I said, okay, well, let's go get coffee. And so we're walking. And I said, what magazine are you with? She goes, I'm not. I oh. said, where did you, where'd you come from? She goes, I flew in from Iowa today just to interview you and I've got to get back this afternoon. And I said, well, who sent you? Maharishi. Uh, 
Maharishi Mahesh Yogi sent you to interview me. She goes, yeah. She goes, he has one question for you. <laughs> what do you remember from the interview? Well, the first thought that came to mind is I lied. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, oh God, I'm not going to admit that. Right. <laughs> I'm going to let that go. That? I'm not going to bring that up. But, you know, and Sarah, this is the truth. You know, I, for year, 30 years, I was a radio host and, you know, Deepak and Wayne Dyer and Susie Orman and all these people I interviewed constantly, you know, and, and I can always remember the things that we talked about, but with Maharishi, I looked at her and I said, you know, I swear to God, I can't remember a thing. And she goes, oh, come on, there's one thing. And I said, okay, what I remember is he was filled with joy and the smile came on her face. And she said, well, I'm going to tell you something right now. You're not going to be happy to hear, but down the road, you'll see it's true. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, whenever you remember just one thing from Maharishi, it's the thing that's missing from your life. Hmm. David Essel, you have no joy. And I looked at her, Sarah, and I said, you don't even know me. I live on the beach, blah, blah. You know, I started to get defensive, right? You had no joy. That was the message? Yeah. The message was that I had no joy. Interesting. And she said, that's why you remember Maharishi's joy, because you don't have any. Oh, so I, I said, that doesn't make sense. You know, I live on the beach. I do what I love. It, yeah. that, that's illogical. And she goes, well, David, you're going to find out down the road. It's true. And I said, well, whatever. I go, listen, tell Maharishi I love him. Not quite sure about you. But <laughs> tell Maharishi yeah, I love him. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks later, Tuesday afternoon, 1996, 2.30 in the afternoon, I wake up from a three-day binge. Mm -hmm. um, anyone that has been a former cocaine addict, my pillows were covered with blood, which is a very normal thing when you're an addict. Okay. I looked in the mirror at about five o'clock and I said, David Essel, you have no joy. And Sarah, what I realized in that moment in 1996 is that I had been teaching mistruths from mm -hmm. 1980 until 1996, because every day I woke up saying I was sober, 17 years later, I'm still an alcoholic. So that was the main thing that changed my life. Now, I am still the most positive person in the world. I wake up every day. I put my hour into my mind before the phone goes on, before the internet yeah. is on or anything. Nothing comes on for an hour. And in our book, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will, we have stories from New York Times bestselling authors that used to believe that you could think your way to greatness or think your way through grief or think your way into a soulmate relationship. And they all realized it was a bunch of trash. Now, mm -hmm. parts of the law of attraction are true, but it's not this simplicity that they're saying it is. As all you have to do is throw crap out into the universe and it must return in kind. I mean, I wish it was that easy, but Sarah, guess what? If mm -hmm. it was that easy, you and I would be out of business. <laughs> exactly. No one would need us. There no. would be there'd be no doctors needed because all we have to do is say, I want it's perfect health. Bye-bye. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love the concept of positive thinking, but what we proved in the book, you know, um, you know, one of the stories, Scarlett Lewis, a, a great friend of mine, her son, Jesse, at six years of age was massacred in the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Now that's like nine, 10 years ago, almost. Yeah, I can't believe and that. You know, yeah, it's incredible. And when she wrote, I had all these experts join me in writing their stories in this book. Mm -hmm. And this is what she wrote, which I think is so powerful. She said, David, when Jesse was gunned down, I had so many people coming to me with these positive statements, like 
God needed another angel. Are you oh, afraid? I hate that. I hate that shit. Mm -hmm. um, hate God needed another angel. It was his time. He he did everything he needed to do on this earth, and is his you know like all this quote positive BS. Mm -hmm. And so she said, what I realized was I had to shut those people out. Yeah. And I had to do the work, David, that you teach your, your people as a counselor, and that is to go into the rage at the murder, go into the sadness, go into the guilt, go into the resentment, go into all those emotions we want to avoid. And within eight months, Sarah, now this is an unheard of example because I've worked with death and dying for so long. Yeah. Within eight months, I contacted Scarlett and I said, Scarlett, I'm sure you probably need another year, but whenever you're ready, I want you on my radio show. And, yeah. and Sarah, there was this pause and she goes, I'm ready right now. I said, it's, it's only been eight months since Jesse was massacred. And she mm -hmm. said, David, I have done nothing but go into the pain for eight months. I am clean. I have forgiven Adam Lanza, the killer of my child by 80%. And Scarlett Lewis today is one of the premier teachers on forgiveness the world has ever seen, Sarah. Wow, that's incredible. And that's yeah. true. Like I, I do. I hate when people say, you know, exactly what you're saying. Like you'll just get over it. It's like, just think about God needed an angel. Like that doesn't help that situation. No. And the reason why well-meaning people now, you know, they're all well-meaning. They're not doing it on yeah. purpose. They're not doing it on purpose. Yeah. They don't want to sit with pain. Mm -hmm. So instead of sitting with Scarlett and saying, "I am so sorry." Would you like to share anything with me? Yeah. I am so sorry. Is there anything that I can do for you? Which is really how we should approach grieving parents or grieving spouses. Yeah. I am so sorry. What can I do? For, would you just like me to sit in silence with you? Yeah. Could I hold your hand? Mm -hmm. Would you like to share what you're feeling? But that's the way to appro approach people going through grief. It isn't to give advice. Right, right. It's true. And like, speaking of like grieving and stuff, I feel like everybody this year is grieving with the pandemic. So what kind of advice do you have for the listeners, um, you know, to get like pan like pandemic depression? I mean, I'm starting to kind of feel it now more than ever. Um, I'm a pharmacist yeah. by day. I mean, I don't, I, I say to all my colleagues, I look at them every day and I go, anytime I go in, I float. So I, I fill in and I'm like, are you just mentally just checked out? I, I can't do much more than we're doing. And, and, and the, and I'm not even on the front, front lines. Like I'm there, I'm giving, you know, I don't know if this person really has COVID or not. I can't say that these thermometers we're given are accurate. You know what I mean? And, and then you come home and you're not doing, like, I was very social. I'm out and about all the time. And like to be home, everybody just left. My parents will crash here in the summer, the summer, they went back to Florida. So it's like, it's silent. It's weird. So yeah. You know, I think what we need to do is get to know you really well and get as many drugs from you as possible to deal with. The... <laughs> right. <laughs> Start my own little company out the back door. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, um, so let's go to self-love. Mm -hmm. The only way to combat um, a pandemic grief, uh, you know, and the election exhaustion, which was just still was killing huge. people. Oh, I've never felt you know. so tired in one week of my life. I know. And, and so it comes down to self-love. So I'll give you, you know, I work with people every day on with burnout, exhaustion. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's more people in this world that are coming to us now from all over the world, sure. Sarah, same thing you're talking about. So mm -hmm. we say, number one, 
and this is a toughie for a lot of because because people are so addicted get the hell off of social media okay i i agree with that a little bit i get, you know, I get like on that mm -hmm. I, I give myself 30 minutes a day okay it's about 9 45 at night till 10 15 and i post pictures of puppy dogs nature uh funny uh far side jokes there's there's nothing but joy on all of my my social media stuff you know it's like and and so it's only 30 minutes a day now okay. if you're an addict to social media you're going to be freaking out with what i just said right because yeah, how let's many be people honest, i would be one of them and i'm sure plenty of my friends are <laughs> exactly sarah you know and it's like we don't even know we're addicted the only way you know you're an addicted is when you take something away <laughs> and then you go through withdrawal and you know, i Okay, I gotta get my phone. <laughs> yeah. Now, and here's the thing that's really scary with phones. There's something called the dopamine adrenaline addictive cycle, which mm -hmm. iPhones and smartphones are perfect for. The minute a ding goes off, how many people could not turn over their phone? Oh my God, they go crazy. Like even like waiting in line, like they're you're talking to them about a prescription, they have to get their phone. I'm like, what is so important? <laughs> I know, and that's an addiction. Right. Mm -hmm. So that so we're, you know, probably 80 percent of the U.S. at least is addicted to their phones. Mm -hmm. So what we say is start setting boundaries. This is self-love. If you want to decrease the exhaustion and you want to have more balance and more emotional stability, well, number one, take away your addictions. And, you know, if if you're on social media and you're reading about the ridiculous election crap, you're reading about more pandemic crap. Your mm -hmm. brain is going to go towards what you feed it. I mean, that's a pretty basic concept. Okay. Yeah. So the more you feed it crap, the crappier you're going to feel, you know? And okay. I remember when, when I got my first computer in 1995 and the guy mm -hmm. setting it up, he goes, always remember this, G-I-G-O. I said, <laughs> what the heck is that? He said, yeah. garbage in, garbage out, brother. He goes, if you're going to be online searching stuff and you're going to be searching a bunch of crap, you're going to be getting hit with internet ads, even in 1995. Okay. Right. He said, so, you know, make sure whatever you're putting into your searches is worthwhile. You know, like don't waste your time on the computer. Now that was a guy that knew his stuff in 1995. Right. But you know, um, Tim Ferriss wrote a book years ago called the four hour work week. Mm -hmm. And I use a lot of his strategies. And what he used to do is that, you know, he shuts his phone off at six at night or something like that. It doesn't come back on until the next morning at 9 a.m. Okay. At 9 a.m., he spends 30 minutes returning texts, calls, and emails. Then he shuts his phone off until noon. Then at noon, he turns it on. He spends 30 minutes answering questions. Then he turns mm -hmm. it off until five. Okay. You know, for all of people that are watching right now, if they thought about, wait a minute, nine, three hours? <laughs> I, I, I can't look at, wait, five hours? I can't look at my phone? And then from six to the next morning? Yeah. You're going to freak lot. out. A, lot, a lot of people, me included. It is. Oh, I know. And you know what? But that's self-love. It's like, wait a minute. Let me take this ridiculous waste of time where I'm feeding my brain a bunch of crap uh -huh. and let me do something productive with it. Yeah, it's true. It, I've been like more and more realizing that and like having more wine at night. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've been trying to keep that on the, you know, but I mean, that's another thing people have been picking up on drinking more just to kind of yeah. handle it. Um, what are the things that people are doing? 
I don't know. I feel like everybody's, or they're just going out and they're not supposed to be like the pandemic's real. The virus is real. Yeah. I mean, I went outside of my box two weeks ago just to come to Fort Myers because it was my mom's 70th. So, but you should have seen me. I'm like masked up to galore, gloved yeah. up. But yeah, I mean, I will say the airline was okay. It wasn't bad. It was right before Thanksgiving at least. So it wasn't okay. bad at that time. I, yeah. I didn't find it. I wasn't, I didn't feel, but in Florida, I did feel a little bit like we did go outside to eat because that's the only way we will eat. And I did notice people down there, you, you don't have the mask mandate. So you get the some people wearing them. And then they, this girl, she tried to seat people next to us. And we're like, that's not six feet. What are you doing? <laughs> like people aren't paying attention, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Some people are really lax. I mean, they, they become way too relaxed. You know, another thing I'm working with several guys right now that have become emotional spenders. Um, you Ooh, know, women yes. are traditionally shopping. Mm. Yeah. All Amazon, you know, all yes. the online stuff. Right. And that's a new addiction. Getting the packages. Yeah. You know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've got, you know, several people now creating budgets. They've never done budgets before, but they're finding that they're not paying attention, that they're getting their emotional fix. They're yep. high from purchasing, right? And then, of yeah. course, we have a huge increase in obesity and overweight in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of my, a good friend of mine is a doctor in, in L.A. He just wrote a book, WTF, Are We Doing to Our Health? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and in the book, and I thought it was 70%. Now I find out that 80% of Americans are overweight. Yeah. So there's a lot of food addiction going on with the pandemic. Yeah, because everybody's feeding their fears. Yeah, so <laughs> now you're their not, fears. <laughs> they're, they're trying to, to drown themselves and not feel, right? And right. then you have shame and guilt because they're gaining weight, they feel bad. And then because they don't want to feel the shame and guilt, they eat more or they drink more. Or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. You mentioned alcohol, Sarah. Two weeks ago, there was a report that online alcohol sales is up a thousand percent from last October. Wow, that's a lot. That's a, a lot. Thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, that is a lot, and that's that's kind of scary. Like I, I kind of like tease. Like I'm sure my parents would be like, "Oh, she drinks too much," but I tease about it. But like, it really is. I mean, for me, I could stop, but some people can't. So that's yeah. what the, you know. I, I fear what's going to come out of this is a lot of mental health is issues. Frontliners are going to just be checked out and exhausted. Yeah. I was even talking about, like, I know this is so, like, vain, but I was like, everybody's skin structure, I can tell people who are healthcare workers, everybody's face structure through here and their eyes have changed because it's been almost a year. You're blowing your germs on yourself for 12 hours a day. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. You're going to get a lot of business out of this, I think. <laughs> well, you know, what's crazy is that so, Feb, well, you know, we, we had a lot of international clients and in February, mm -hmm. we lost them all. Australia, London. Oh, really? Germany, because the they got hit before we did. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't really get hit till March. Right. So all of a sudden we saw like 30% of our business would just disappeared in February. Okay. And then in March, we lost another 25%. So now all of a sudden in two months, we had lost 50% of our business, right? Yeah. So it went February, March, April, May. And then in June, now I don't know if there's a correlation to this era or not, but June 1st, I eliminated all media. Okay. And on June 2nd from today, we've gotten deluged with clients. Wow. And 
it's been incredible and they keep coming in. I mean, we're fit, we're putting people in corners, we're fitting them all over the place <laughs> because there's such a huge need. You people know, need to talk, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, pulling back, observing your behaviors, changing your behaviors. You know, it's not easy to do. Yeah. Especially in so many states where like the health clubs are still closed mm-hmm. and there are people that are very fitness minded and that was keeping them clear in the beginning yep. of the pandemic. Very and true. now they've got to go and walk or figure out how to do stuff outside. So there's a lot of challenges and all of these challenges are definitely increasing our business. But the great news is just like, I'll tell you a short story. I started with a woman four weeks ago and okay. this was her diet. Her diet throughout the day was diet Mountain Dew mm. and candy bars. Gross. <laughs> that was it. And you're never going to feel good about that. And so what it was doing was it was covering up and I'll talk about chemicals and the brain in a second, but it was covering up her fears, her insecurities and everything else. Yeah. And then she went pre-diabetic. Okay. Of course, if, if you're going to be right. consuming that much sugar, right? Yeah, so absolutely. in four weeks, we have her at zero soda, zero sugar. We have her on this incredibly lean diet. Uh-huh. And we've got her exercising 45 minutes a day. And I just got a text from her today and it was all hearts. And then at the bottom, it said, I can't believe the changes made in 30 days. So her whole attitude has turned around. But, but one of the things I want to mention about brain chemistry, because this is something that's just so important. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of antidepressants at all, unless someone is suicidal, then I'm totally open to it. But, okay. you know, the brain can get restructured in a heartbreak. We know about brain plasticity. Stress over time can shrink the function of the brain and obviously relaxation yeah. enlarges it. Right. But sugar, salt, white flour, fat are just as numbing to the emotions in the brain as nicotine, pot, and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we're chowing at night, sugar, salt, white flour, fat, we're numbing the emotions of the brain, just like having a drink or a cigarette does. Okay. So people have to be highly aware that if you numb your emotions long enough, you're creating addictions, number one. Mm -hmm. And then number two, to regain that normal brain chemistry is going to take time. Right. So, you know, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling out of sorts, which most of us are, but many of us, it's so deep that they're almost handcuffed in their existence right now. The very first thing we've got to do is remove those substances that are addictive in nature, remove the emotional spending, remove the workaholism, remove and allow the brain to start to regain its normal function and then we have all of our clients on amino acids to help with brain chemistry. Um, DLPA is probably one of the most powerful dopamine enhancers that we have available over the counter. Okay. DLPA is 10 times more effective, in my opinion, than antidepressants. Um, we've got tyrosine, which is an incredible amino acid for focus, energy. Yep. You know, So we can help people start to redirect their brain chemistry and start to feel better by eliminating the habits and the substances that hurt us and bringing in the natural chemistry through supplementation to help us get back on track. Well, that's a cool way to look at it. You know, sometimes, you know, I think, you know, you do what you want to do, but 
a lot of those Prozacs and stuff are made up with other chemicals. You don't really know what you're putting in your body, but that's just because of what I know and my knowledge. So it's always good to hear another option like what you just were talking about. Yeah. And, you know, um, drug companies are not stupid. Paxil and Zoloft, they're created to be addictive in nature, which means you're going to go through withdrawal. Yeah, they do. Everybody. We talked about that on another episode. Like the withdrawals can be worse. You can't just stop it. No. Mm-hmm. And, and listen to this, Sarah, and you'll understand this and being in the medical field that you are. Mm-hmm. I have a client that's been on Paxil for 30 years. Okay. With her doctor's assistance, we have tried to titrate down 10 times over the last year and mm-hmm. her body goes into freaking convulsions, anxiety. It's oh. because of the addiction. Yeah. And, and the doctor agreed with me that she didn't want the client on this anymore at all. 30 years is a long time to be on a freaking antidepressant when it's not needed, but they can't get her off it. Right. I know. I know. It's, that's like a whole nother chat, you know, oh my God, (laughs) things that I know and see, but I do want to talk about something a little bit fun. Tell us about dating in the pandemic and why you threw out the law of attraction and what, what advice do you have for people who are single, who are looking to meet somebody but here we are with the pandemic and when we come out of the pandemic even what would be some um, avenues what would you advise somebody oh we talk about this every day sarah it's a great question you know so number one my my first rule of dating is never date until you're freaking happy single i like that never don't freaking do it because you're needy you're emotionally unavailable you're going to be a pain in the ass to your new partner okay so uh uh-uh no, no, no. When you I can agree look- with that because people will be people are always on me. Why aren't you dating? Why aren't you dating? Um, okay. Last year I got in like the worst accident. I was not mentally prepared to bring anybody. I needed to work on me. Still am. Right. So the pandemic gave me an extra year. <laughs> and you're um, taking advantage of it. Always. <laughs> I love it. But I really, have some creepy dating stories in my past. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Another episode. Okay. <laughs> I love it. So rule number one is find a way to get happy before you date. Don't bring someone else into your crap. You know, like that's just the truth. Number two. Now this is a big one because, you know, I'm, I'm dealing from a therapist point of view. I'm not dealing from Glamour magazine. Okay. There's a big difference. And so number one is make sure you're happy. Number two, if you have any resentment, against a former lover. I don't care how they betrayed you. I don't care how terribly they treated you. Do not date until you clear up your crap because you're going to project your frustration over the last woman or man onto your new partner at some point. I guarantee it's going to happen. I believe that. You're going to be jaded. Mm -hmm. You're going to look for problems. You're going to be untrusting. You know, all the things that you need to be, you need to be trusting. You need to be open-minded. You need to be in a good mood to start a relationship. Absolutely. I'm not saying being blind, you know, you have to look for red flags, but if you're out there going, you know, guys or dogs don't date. Yep. Don't date. Just stay out of it. Okay. Number three, this is a big one. Okay. Write down all of your deal killers in relationships. Okay. So look back at the one, two, four, 25 people you've dated. Mm -hmm. Look at the characteristics that don't ever work. Right. Know yourself of what, what won't work. So, you know, I don't care if you meet a guy that makes $10 million a year. If one of your deal killers is you don't want to deal with little kids and he has two little kids, too bad. 
you're going to have to pass on dating her. Okay. I don't care if you meet a woman that's got a killer body. If she has traits that are deal killers for you, whatever those traits are, stick to what you know that won't work for you. So give me an example, a guy that I'm working with right now, he has, he's been single for about a year. Now mm -hmm. that he feels he's ready to date, we worked and cleared out all of his resentments, everything else. And one of his deal killers is he doesn't like to be social more than once a month. He knows himself very well. So he feels going to a play once a month, going out for something fun like that once a month is plenty for him. And then he's got all these other hobbies that he wants to continue to practice. Okay. So he meets this woman and they are a match on so many levels, except for one thing. She's social. She wants to be on the go every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yep. So he comes in and he goes, oh my God, I've met the woman of my dreams, but there's only one problem. <laughs> she's got the top of my list deal killer. Uh -huh. And so I said, okay, you have two options. Number mm -hmm. one is you can say, Hey, listen, I'm not going to be joining you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday on a weekly basis to do social stuff. So if you feel comfortable because you, you haven't been dating either for a while, if you feel comfortable doing your social stuff with girlfriends or whatever, go for it. Yeah. I'll, I'll go out with you once a month to some kind of an event or whatever, but you know, that's, that's it. I've got other things I want to do. And if she says, that's great, keep dating her. If she says, no, 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 I need someone that's going to be more social, then you got to be willing to walk away. Yeah. So he presented it to her and she said, you know what? I really need to be out a lot more. And he goes, you know, I'm so glad we met. It's not going to work, but good luck. Right. And see, you see, that's healthy dating, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, I like right? that because it's true. You know, I couldn't date somebody like for him as an example, I couldn't do that. I'm too right. social, you yeah, know, yeah. but I will say things that I reflected on when I came um, out of having an accident and stuff, everybody kept saying to me, you keep dating the same person. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. But then when I had more time to think about it, um, similar looks and they always are very good looking, but they always have those, they're into themselves more traits than yeah. I I need somebody to actually be excited to be with me, not looking right. in the mirror at themselves. And so I've discovered that I cannot date that type. So if you're too pretty, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in therapy, we call that an emotionally unavailable man. Yep. There's a lot so, of those. Yeah. Now, don't discount attractive men yet because there are good looking oh, no, guys. I wouldn't date an ugly. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but but there are guys that you'll find that are very attracted that are very emotionally grounded. You you said something great. I, I've got to share this story. So I'm working with this woman in London. She's okay. 35 years of age. She's finally ready to settle down. She wants to have a family and she knows her, cl her clock is ticking. So mm -hmm. she said, you know, I, I, I don't want to wait past 38. So I'm 35. I'd really like to meet a guy, get to know him, you know, take three exactly. years, get married and then have a child. And I said, great. So she said, um, I want to talk to you. I said, oh, I need your background history. You know, how many guys have you dated? Tell me their characteristics, all that stuff. So she had been in three fairly serious relationships from 18 to 35. Uh -huh. So she's telling me these relationships. And I said, oh my God, you're dating the same guy. Just Overnight. like you were told. And she goes, David, there's no way. One guy was a master carpenter. Another guy sold art. Okay. And another guy was a musician. They're all totally different. And I said, but they all have the same traits. Same traits. 
Yeah. They have no ability to be emotionally grounded. They aren't ready to commit. Yeah. And you're going after that unicorn. You know, you're, you're thinking you're going to turn them around. You think they've got great potential. That's another thing. Don't date someone for their potential to change. Like, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. 99% of the time, what happens? So as I'm talking, she goes, no, I don't think so. She goes, you know, I, I think you've got me wrong. And so I gave her the exercise to do in writing. I said, just go ahead and write all the traits and all the challenges you had with each one. She right. came back the next week. I mean, she wrote a boatload. And at the end of it, she goes, I can't freaking believe it. They are all emotionally identical. And that's something that a lot of women and a lot of men don't pay attention to. Right. Like, what, what does it mean to be emotionally available? Well, what you said something a minute ago, Sarah, it means that you show you care enough about your partner, equally about yourself. So you're not standing in a freaking mirror looking at yourself while your partner's standing next to you. <laughs> you know, that's a little arrogant, I would say. But yeah. you want to make sure that they're able to have conversations about difficult concepts. Right. You know, that's an emotionally available man or woman. Um, that they can say that they're sorry. That's an emotionally available man or a woman. Um, that they can surprise you. You know, I don't care if it's one rose, if it's a little node, if it's a little, but that shows they're emotionally connected. When right. they do the smallest, simplest things without being asked or without being told, you know, so we yeah. look for people that are emotionally available. Then I'll go back to what I said earlier. Well, and I'm going to add something. If they have a terrible relationship with their mother or father and have not cleared it up on their side, they are emotionally unavailable. They are. Now, you can have someone that has no communication with their parents because they were raised in a hellish environment but they've cleared it up with professional help. They've let go. They have no more anger, rage, resentment. They may not even talk to their parents. Right. But they're not carrying baggage forward. You know, there's a couple I'm working with right now, and it's so sad. I can give you a specific example. They've been married 28 years. Uh, the woman was way too submissive, way too codependent. She put up with a bunch of nonsense for 28 years, and then she came in to work with me. She goes, I don't know what it is. I can't get him to change. He has been needy from the day I met him. <laughs> when I come home from work, he says things to me like, so how does the pool look? And she'll say, what do you mean? He goes, I cleaned it today. She said, well, you, you asked me the same question yesterday. So what that says to me is that he's got some huge mother issues. He's got uh, mommy issues. Okay. And he's asking his wife to validate him because he was never validated in childhood. Okay. Does okay. that make sense to you? Yeah. So here for 28 years, she hasn't known that she's got a very immature man as a husband mm -hmm. with incredible mommy issues. And that he, if he doesn't clear those up, the marriage is going to be over. Right. Because he's got to let go. And, and whenever she talks to him about, you know, his mom, he gets pissed off, you know, and she's a jerk and she's a this and she's still alive. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he's craving a mom's attention from his wife, which is outrageously unhealthy. That is, but I mean, I, I have dated men with mom issues too. And like the more you say that stuff, you know, you go, oh, that makes sense too. But I hate that it took me this long to figure all this out. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it is, it's just, yeah. And it's tough and it's, and then you throw in the dating apps and it's like, <laughs> I, I can't even, don't even get me. 
one of my friends is like, all right, so why? So I did it for two months during the pandemic just for shits and giggles. I'm sitting in the jacuzzi yeah. board and I'm like swiping. And, I'm like, and then like, I'll be like, all right, you know what? I'll bite. I'll respond to this message. And then they don't know how to respond. It's just like awkward banter. And I'm just like, out, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> Yep. I don't have time for this. <laughs> I know. You know, the other thing to look out for that we we teach all of our male and female clients that are looking for relationships is to be on the lookout for love bombing. It is so common. And What's that? It, love bombing is when people hook you in. So I'll give you some examples. Okay. So one of my clients, um, last week this happened. She just, she's been single for eight months. We've cleared up her anger and resentment against her former boyfriend and now she's going out finally to start dating after eight months, which is very pretty quick. I mean, she was with him for almost 10 years. Wow. So for her to clear up her, her, her baggage in eight months means she really worked her butt off. So right. she goes out on a date and this is just Sunday. The date was whatever today is Thursday. Yeah, I know. She goes, <laughs> I never know either. I know. I don't know the time. Oh God, Sarah, me too. I have no Every idea. Day I'm like, am I supposed to be at work or am I podcast? <laughs> exactly. I will go to bed and I'm like, wait a minute, I think I'm off tomorrow, but let me double check. You know what I mean? Because I don't know what day it is. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So so they're fifth, 20 minutes into the date and he goes to her, you know, this is going really well. Now, remember, it's only freaking 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm laughing right, as right. I say this, okay? It's going great. <laughs> it's going great. And she goes, yeah, you know, the conversation is fun. He goes, we need to go away to a beach next weekend. Okay, I'd be yeah. out. Okay, and they live up north, right? So that's love bombing. So what he's trying to do is get her off the market really quickly. Oh. He's trying to hook her into thinking okay. that, oh my God, this guy's incredible. You know, he wants to take me to a beach. We've just on our first really official weekend together, you know, but that's love bombing. It's so unhealthy. It's, it, it, it can be crazy because first of all, you, whether it's a guy or a woman saying it, you've got to do background checks these days. You don't know what the hell mm -hmm. people have been into. Yeah. You know, you got to be super safe, but that's love bombing. Another example is one of my clients in LA meets this guy in a bar and he says, Hey, you know, how about going out to dinner on Thursday? She says, great. So all of a sudden she's waiting and he's supposed to pick her up at a certain time. And there's this honk in the driveway and she looks out and there's a big stretch limo. So she comes out, she's expecting that he's going to be in the limo. He's not, it's just the driver. So the okay. driver goes, you know, Mr. So-and-so sent me to pick you up and she gets into the back and there's 150 roses. Okay. So now they, they've just met there's, they, they've not, this is their first date and yeah. you know how big 150 roses are. <laughs> <It's huge. laughs> I'm just like, you see my face, my reaction. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. I know, right. <laughs> so they get to the restaurant, the maitre d' comes out, picks up the 150 freaking roses goes into the restaurant, goes into the, uh, into the restaurant. She finds him, she sits down and, you know, like she, now she's overwhelmed mm -hmm. thinking he's the one like right away, limo, roses, nice restaurant. So I they have a nice, like a nice meal. This guy does a lot. What'd you say? I think it's a smooth move that he's done more than once. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, he, he's a pro. He's a love bombing pro. <laughs> the next day at work, there's 50 roses waiting for her when she comes in. Two days mm. later, there's another 50, right? So she's saying to me, I am so in love. I am so this and so on. And so I said, remember we talked about love bombing. So what's the rush is my question. Yeah. Why, and, and the, the answer is he's trying to take her off the market, right? Okay. For whatever reason, if it's good intentions or bad intentions, I don't care. Right. He's trying to get, get her to the side, right? 
So a couple more weeks go by and she is not responding as much as he wants. Okay. And he, and he disappears. So he's texting her saying, Hey, how about Thursday? It's Wednesday. And she goes, you know, I can't do it. I've got way too much going on. And so then they'll text her on Thursday. How about tomorrow? Right. Mm. Hey, and by the way, tomorrow, not only are we going to go out to eat, but we're going to do ride horses on the beach. (laughs) So you see, he's picking up, which is a sign of intense insecurity. And that's what love bombers are. Mm-hmm. They are so insecure with taking the time to get to know someone that they keep piling on stuff to try to get you hooked in. Wow, that's incredible, though. I'd be like, yeah. that would have creeped me out personally. Well, <laughs> and you know, pe- people can do it too with emojis. Like you just meet someone and they send you a hundred heart emojis, or you know, they go, "Hey, baby, can't wait to see you," and you're only just texting and you've never met yet. You know, all that kind of stuff is love bombing. So Here. it can even happen via text. That's so crazy. There's a lot to learn about that. All there my is. girlfriends would definitely be listening to this. <laughs> I, I hope so, because, you know, we can really, I mean, we can destroy this whole concept that dating has to be a pain in the butt yeah. if we learn how to logically date. Because what we do, Sarah, basically, I, I have a video on YouTube that's quite funny. It's called Machete Dating. Okay. <laughs> and what that means is, is that you know what your deal killers are. You know that you don't want a love bomber. You don't want someone who smokes or you don't want someone with kids or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so on the first or second date, when those deal killers are presented, take the machete out. Yeah. Just let it go. Move on. There's no need. You know, there's 7 billion people on this planet. Right. There's no need to go, oh my God, I better grab him or her because there may (laughs) not be anyone else, which is called insecure dating that we don't want that at all. We've always like said like within the family and like family friends, we're always like when we were a little bit younger, my mom's friend would always say, after three dates, if you're not feeling it, bye. The first date's True. awkward. Second, you yeah. kind of get to know them. And the third date, you're, you're getting, like you said, if they don't want kids and you want kids, do not waste your time. Exactly. Because that's all it's going to be. It's just going to end up in a breakup anyway, because you're not going to change each other's minds. So. That's right. And if we move forward with someone that we know has traits that we don't want, what that says is we're needy as hell. (laughs) That's true. And too much acceptance there too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we haven't set boundaries. We're not confident. We're willing to take whatever. And, you know, I have to tell you this, Sarah, from a male's perspective, being Uh in this business for 40 years, women, unfortunately, have so much societal pressure we call it mass consciousness to be in relationships yep it is insane now men have you know issues with mass consciousness with money like you know men are always supposed to be constantly making more money right women are supposed to be in love it's so sad it's like Mm -hmm. you know how many times do women just jump and stay in a relationship that's unhealthy because it's better than being alone they think Oh my God. I can tell you, I'm happy where I'm at. I, and I, oh, it's like, it's like when somebody dies and somebody says, Oh God, we did them. I can't stand when people are like, Oh, they're just intimidated by you. Okay. That annoys the hell out of me. Don't talk about that. Okay. They're not, they're just not a fit for me. That's, That's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, and, and- I mean, it is annoying that I do like, if I, <laughs> I, I have a good career and on top of that, I have, you know, TV show and this podcast and 
Instagram collaborations. I'm really busy, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And when I find something that fits into that, that'll be great, but I'm not going to just settle either. I cannot stand that. (laughs) Yeah. And, and unfortunately that's what most of the country does, you know, it's so many people settle and they're so miserable. Those ones that got married late twenties, early thirties. I know. I know. You know, I, we have, um, I'm going to do a self-promotion here. Okay. You can always do that. (laughs) Thank you, honey. So (laughs) this is a book that went crazy a year ago. It's called love and relationship secrets that everyone needs to know. Okay. Okay. In the book, we prove with studies and statistics that 80% of relationships in our country suck. (laughs) They do. (laughs) They do. 80% suck. And Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why is because people don't know what their boundaries are. They don't know what their deal killers are. And then the worst reason is, is codependency Mm -hmm. is that they will stay in relationships that are unfulfilling. So they don't have to be alone. Yeah. And we, we go through the whole story, you know, the, the, in the book, we really break it down. You know, uh, TJ Toriello calls it the Bible of love and relationships. Um, we don't leave anything out. You know, we talk about the 3% rule of dating, which is the, the, what I was telling you about with knowing your deal killers. There's actually a formula we have the 3% rule of dating. Okay. There's 10 stages of love and people can read that in the book and see what stage they're at. Um, I will tell you that with 80% of the relationships in our country that really suck, that aren't healthy, like I'm not impressed when someone says, well, we've been married for 50 years. I'm more impressed with when they say we're really happy together. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what I want to hear. I'm not impressed by years, you know, Um, but we've, we've got to really slow it down and realize that first time marriages right now are still at about 57% divorce rate. Oh yeah. Second time marriages are 62% divorce rate. Mm-hmm. Third time marriages are 68% divorce rate. Hmm. So we're doing something really wrong is the mm-hmm. answer, you know, and with 80% yeah. of the relationships that suck, I'm so glad you and I are talking so frankly about this because this is the information that can turn the tide. If people yeah. slow down and learn about love and dating at a deeper level, they need to, we'll have to yeah. have you back to come talk about that oh we yeah so many things today there's so many you, more things that we got to talk about finance etc so you'll have to come back on in the new year absolutely sarah whenever <laughs> you whenever you need desire want just let me know and we will make it happen absolutely if i'm down there in january i'm gonna give oh, you, a call. you got to you t- definitely <laughs> definitely G- give um, me a heads heads up so i'll know I i'm def- here I just want, um, if anybody wants to reach out to David, where, how can they reach out to you? Where can they purchase your book? Yeah, this is all super easy. If you have a pen, just <laughs> remember the name talkdavid.com. Talkdavid.com. Okay. It's all I do. I freaking talk 20 hours a day. So it's an appropriate <laughs> website <Same>. name. <laughs> and you can find out all of our books there. I work with people one-on-one from all over the world via phone mm-hmm. or Skype. Um, so if you, you know, Sarah and I have been talking about dating, uh, the, uh, uh, the pandemic exhaustion, we've been talking about love and relationships and all this other kind of stuff, positive thinking. So if you really desire some help now to make 2021 a much better year, go to talkdavid.com. Let's start working together because all of our work, Sarah is 100% money back guaranteed. Oh, look at that. See, uh, that's great. Uh, I hope that I get some people to reach out to you. This was awesome, awesome discussion. Well needed, needed to have that 
and your energy is amazing. So I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Sarah. All right. I will look forward to being back with you and I'll see you in January. All right. I'll see you in 2021. <laughs> all right. <laughs>